Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, it's 2024. We've been waiting. Here it is. We've been talking about this. Everything we did in 2021 to prepare for 2022, everything we did in 2022 to prepare for 2023, it all comes down to this, guys. Now 10 months, 10 months to election day. I hope you'll get involved with us. I want to say thank you for listening. I hope you will share this with your friends, your family, your colleagues in the American pro-democracy movement. I hope you'll sign up, lincolnproject.us, jointheunion.us. Get involved, everybody. Every moment counts, and I cannot say thank you enough. And now, on with the show. back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm once again joined by Matt Bennett, co-founder and executive vice president for public affairs at Third Way, a national think tank that champions modern center-left ideas. Prior to his time at Third Way, he worked on a number of campaigns, including the presidential campaigns of Michael Dukakis and Bill Clinton, where he went on to serve as deputy assistant to the president for intergovernmental affairs. He also has a bachelor's degree from the University of Pennsylvania and a JD from the University of Virginia Law School. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk no labels in particular and third parties a little bit more generally. But let me give you a scenario that I've been, maybe we've all been talking about it, but it's starting to crystallize now that we're into 2024. I believe electorally that Donald Trump has a ceiling of somewhere like 45, 46% nationally. And while he's a lizard, his people know this. They're very smart. They're not stupid. And so it seems awfully convenient that you have no labels. You have RFK Jr. You have Jill Stein. You have Cornell West. You have Joe Manchin lurking about because these are the exact types of people that will theoretically hurt Joe Biden in a general election matchup. But Trump can't win without it, near as I can tell. I think that's exactly right. The reason that I spend pretty much every waking moment fighting against these third party candidates is for that exact scenario that you just laid out. I think in a head to head race, by the time we get to November, when a billion dollars spent by the Biden team and its allies will have reminded America who Donald Trump is and what he represents, I think a head to head race means Joe Biden wins. There could be a lot of grudging support for Joe Biden. But frankly, I don't care why someone votes for Joe Biden as long as they do. I don't care how enthusiastic they are. We don't need a parade on the way to the polls. All we need is people voting for Biden. And if they have to, to prevent a Trump presidency, I think they will. Problem is that a very small but very significant percentage of those people is pretty unenthusiastic about it, is looking for a way out, and to your point, there's a whole bunch of options for them that are kind of warming up in the bullpen right now. Hopefully, they won't ever 
make it to the ballot, but there's a bunch of them and it's very worrying. Yeah. And let me run through the undercard before we get to the big dogs. Cornell West was originally going to be on the Green Party line, but then he realized there was actual work involved in that. So he decided he didn't want to do that. And, you know, he's out there and he's got some very extreme views on many things. But, you know, there's a, f a concern that I've heard, Matt, that, you know, he could appeal to a certain segment of African-American voters in the Democratic constituency. You have Jill Stein, who I called nothing short of the Putin candidate, right? She's at a table with Vladimir Putin and Michael Flynn, by the way. She'll run on the Green Party line. You know, retrospectively, I think some Democrats, you know, blame her for Hillary Clinton losing in Michigan. You know, we could have that argument another day. The point is, is that she's out there lurking about. Joe Manchin, like, I don't know. I don't know where he thinks his line is. He, you know, he's out there, quote unquote, looking for the middle of America. But I don't know that a 76 year old former coal baron is really what the middle of America, even middle America is looking for. And so that leaves us the likes of RFK Jr., who can't figure out who he knows and who he doesn't know, or at least his super PAC can't and no labels. I think and let's talk about Kennedy for a second. I think that Kennedy despite all of the other talk, is a bigger threat to Trump. And let me just tell you why, and I promise I'll let you talk. I think he appeals to, first and foremost, what I call the F.U. white guy. The guys who, for whom having to get vaccinated to do something was the first time in their life that anybody told them they had to do something they didn't want to do, and if they didn't do it, they couldn't do something else, i.e., I had to get vaccinated to get on an airplane. I don't want to get vaccinated. I couldn't get on an airplane. This is the civil rights fight of my time, Matt. What's your sense of him? We don't really know. So it is very possible, and you are in good company. A lot of election experts believe that Kennedy would hurt Trump more than Biden. And there's very good reason to think that. His views are very extreme, and he's been embraced by the right. I mean, he's been hanging out with Michael Flynn also, and Roger Stone. There's all kinds of pictures of him. And with all Steve these, Bannon. Yeah, all these MAGA freaks. So sure, you could make the case that he would hurt Trump more. The thing I worry about is that we're in a game of inches here, as you know. We're talking about a handful of votes in probably three states, Wisconsin, Arizona, and maybe something else, Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan. And we just don't know. Anyone who is on the ballot and offers an out worries me because of what we discussed earlier. Biden's support is uh, higher than Trump's, but softer than Trump's. His, his floor is softer than Trump's. And, and so if you give people the opportunity to vote for someone else, and that person's name is Kennedy, there could be low information voters who don't know that he is a conspiracy mongering nutcase. All they know is his name is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And they will find that attractive. So I just rather not have him, even if in the aggregate, he hurts Trump more. Yeah. And, you know, it's like one of the I was helping my daughter with her math, her seventh grade math, which is about the limit of my math, Matt, um, you know, with all the different variables. Right. You want to reduce the number of variables and get them by themselves. And like, that's how I see this is like variables are good for Trump. Constants are bad for Trump. Um, and who's more variable than him anyway? So let's talk about no labels. So you and I talked last year, maybe a couple of times on the air. But, you know, about a year ago, the no labels people were really mad at us here at the Lincoln Project, Matt, because we said that there are 18 Republican members of the U.S. House who live in districts that Joe Biden won in 2020. And we said, if you don't get right on the debt ceiling, right, then we're going to come after you. And this sent, you know, no labels had kittens about this. 
we got angry phone calls from everybody, donors, political types. And eventually, Nancy Jacobson, who is the founder of No Labels, and her chief strategist, this guy, Ryan Clancy, asked Rick Wilson and me for a call, a Zoom. And we get on it, and they're going through all this stuff about, you know, we shouldn't do this, yada, yada. And we're, okay, yeah, no, you, you can imagine how well it goes when you try and tell us what to do, right, Matt? And then at the end, we said, hey, guys, you know, we know you're doing this third-party thing. Like, we've actually done this. And with all due respect, like, you don't know what you're doing. You have no idea what you're getting yourselves into. The math doesn't work. We've tried it. Rick ran Evan McMullen's campaign in 16. I worked for someone in 15 who was thinking about it, worked for Howard Schultz in 19 who was thinking about it. Uh, at the time, I should just, as a note, because people go, Howard Schultz. Remember, in the summer of 19, we thought it was going to be Bernie Sanders. So <laughs> it should be clear like who we thought the nominee might be. And we're like, you don't know what you're doing. The math works. You got to see the data. Show us the data. Well, it's proprietary. And Matt, everything that we told them would happen in the span of 10 or 15 minutes on that call over the course of not quite a year has happened, which is, I don't know how much of the $70 million they said they were going to raise, A, they've raised, or B, they've spent. But now, and I tried to explain this to one of their donors who I, who I have an email relationship with, which is, if you took this from a business perspective, which was 18 months ago, give us $70 million, we're going to completely revolutionize American politics by electing a true unity centrist ticket. In 18 months hence, you're behind on every measure of success. And now you're saying maybe we'll make it a quote unquote contingent election, which would send it to the United States House of Representatives or the excuse me, Congress, I should say, which votes for president by delegation, not by member. Right. Which at this point would send it to Trump. Would you be OK with this? No response, not surprisingly. So give us the latest on how you guys at Third Way and more broadly, the what I'm going to call the pro-democracy coalition sees no label, the threat they still pose and what you think they're up to. Well, in contrast to RFK, there's no debate among experts, among people like you and me about who a no labels candidate would hurt. It would hurt Biden. There is no doubt about that. And therefore, from the moment we learned they were thinking about doing this, which was in September of 22, when they gave David Brooks access to their stuff in a column that he wrote, we were super alarmed about it. And right around the time you were talking to Nancy and Ryan, we were putting out stuff that said, hey, this is very, very dangerous. This is super bad. And in March, you know, in coalition with you guys and with kind of a broad array of folks all the way from move on on the left to the never Trump right, we began to really make the case that no labels going forward with what they purport would be a moderate ticket, a unity ticket of a Democrat and a Republican, or, or now they're saying it would be a Republican and a Democrat, would have 0, 0.00 chance of winning the election. There is absolutely positively no way that they could win the election but would have an enormous, carry enormous risk of throwing the election to Trump for all the reasons we've already discussed, which is these soft Biden voters would look for somewhere else to go. And a handful of them, not a huge amount, but a handful of them would choose it. And so we remain very alarmed about it. Now, all of the work that we've done collectively for the last year has had an impact to your point. I mean, they said that they would be on 37 ballots by the end of last year. They're on now today, 13. But they are on three in battleground states in Arizona, Nevada, and North Carolina. And 
that is super bad because again, if they have a candidate on ballots in those very close states, it could really swing the election to Trump. So we don't know what they're going to do. They were going to have an in-person convention in Dallas in April. Then it was going to be in March in April. And now it's going to be on Zoom. They have said publicly that they're not sure how they're going to pick their nominee, but it's pretty evident that the nominee is being picked in Nancy Jacobson's house in Georgetown. It's not going to be a democratic process. They're just going to choose somebody. And they don't have any answer to how are you going to win this election? I mean, you're going to nominate somebody in, let's say, April of this year. They will begin their campaign with zero dollars, zero hard money dollars. They will be competing against two presidents, each of whom have a billion dollars or so. And they will start with basically no name ID. It's going to be some, you know, retired governor. So there's no way for them to compete. There's no way for them to win. But they definitely could draw votes in ways that are very harmful. So we are continuing our efforts, all of us, to convince them that this is hopeless, that if they go forward, they are likely to be a spoiler that will help Trump win. Our hope is that cooler heads will prevail, that they will not nominate someone. And if they do, we're all going to have to make the case to voters, especially in the eight swing states, that a vote for the no labels candidate is a vote for Trump. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Wouldn't it make more sense politically and operationally to say, you know what, this is something that the electorate is broadly unhappy with their choices. Okay, it's a given. You know, Americans are always unhappy with their choices. Not quite as unhappy as the French usually are, but unhappy. Wouldn't it make more sense, Matt, if it was 2028, where Joe Biden has retired, Donald Trump is finally gone from the political scene, and now you have as wide open an opportunity as we've had in a generation for something like this with millions, perhaps tens of millions of new voters now on the rolls millions, perhaps tens of millions of older voters have now passed on. Doesn't that make more sense politically? Absolutely. And the thing that's so incredibly crazy is that this is the worst possible cycle for them to be doing this for uh, several reasons. The first is, if you look at what No Labels wants out of a president, it is Joe Biden. <laughs> right. It is a moderate who is you know, moderate by temperament and by nature, who governs as a moderate. And works in a bipartisan fashion. Totally. I mean, he has negotiated with Kevin McCarthy. He has cut deals with Mitch McConnell. Every single bill he signed was voted for by both you know, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. This is not a radical guy. He is a you know, church-going Catholic. He is a good moral person. He has led us well on the world stage. What the hell do they want? Right. And as we're recording this, he and the Democrats in the U.S. Senate just cut another deal to keep the government open. Right. So, exactly. So like, I mean, with Mike Johnson, who's not exactly what you'd call a moderate. Not a bit. And so Joe Biden's kind of the platonic ideal of a no labels president. So, A, 
Why would you oppose Joe Biden? B, you have Donald Trump, who is the antithesis of everything they say they want in every possible respect. And C, every single expert, and we have a thing on our website showing this, every expert, not advocates like you and me, but experts at media places and universities who have looked at this have said, they're not going to win the election. They're not going to win a single state. But if they get in this, they're likely to help Trump. Everyone is telling them this and they seem immune to all reason on this. And that's the thing that is so baffling. Yeah. You know, and so let's go back to the nuts and bolts. So as I recall, and they might've changed the rules, but they didn't change them enough. So I was always surprised by the idea of an in-person convention in April in Dallas, not because of Dallas, but because as I recall, if you're going to be an independent running for president, Texas is the first state that you have to qualify in. And as I recall the rules, and again, they probably changed a little bit, was that between the date, the Wednesday after the Texas primary in March, you basically had an eight-week run to collect about 100,000 valid signatures of voters who had not participated in the primary. Now, Texas is a huge state. You could do that in Houston in an afternoon if you wanted to, right? But you also had to have your vice presidential nominee, all your electors, all this other stuff. And so it never made sense to me by anyone who'd ever studied like the Talmud, like I have a ballot access spreadsheet, why they would have you know, decided to go this late when they were giving themselves two weeks to get on a state that if they think they could win, they'd have to win. Right. And so there was that part. And then there's the you know, what Nancy has said on numerous calls, as I understand it, which is, well, look, if this thing looks like it might help Trump, we'll just pull it off the ballot in July or August. But this is one thing that doesn't make sense to me, Matt, is once you've handed over your ballot line to the candidate, it's theirs. It's not yours anymore. Exactly. I mean, I am a co-founder and I help run a 501c4 organization. That is what no labels is. What that means is it's a nonprofit but the money that comes in isn't tax deductible because it allows you to do more political things. That's what a C4 does. They've got a legal fig leaf that they're using that allows them as a C4 to gain ballot access. But the moment that they nominate someone, that goes away. Then that campaign, the No Labels Party, is thereby subject to the rules that the Democrats and the Republicans and the Greens and everybody's subject to, which is you got to tell us who your donors are and they're capped at you know 2,900 bucks. Right now, they can take unlimited donations from billionaires, and they do, and that all comes to an end the minute they nominate someone. But the other thing that happens, to your point, when they nominate someone is that they lose control. So let's say they say, all right, our nominee is Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, and you know, I don't know, Joe Cunningham, ex-congressman. At that point, it's the Hogan-Cunningham campaign for the No Labels Party. And Nancy Jacobson, the CEO of No Labels, has absolutely no power, none whatsoever. Now, what they say is, well, we're only going to nominate somebody who agrees with us and who would do what we would hope they would do, which is selflessly step aside if it looks like they're going to lose. But that is ridiculous. That is not how this <laughs> right. works. And so if someone gets onto a ballot, if someone puts themselves out there they're taking on two presidents, they're not going to step aside. That's nuts. Yeah. And look, you and I are both old advancemen, right? Let's say that, you know, they get this nomination, you know, someone in the Secret Service or the administration makes a determination that, you know, they are now deserving of Secret Service protection as a national candidate. You tell me 
the presidential and vice presidential nominees of a national party who aren't going to ride out private jets and motorcades for six months. I mean, <laughs> right? Just from a pure fun. ego, you know, right. pomp and circumstance perspective. Totally. People introducing you all day long as the next president of the United States. I mean, look, that's the thing is that we all need to convince these folks not to do it before they take that big, gigantic leap into becoming the nominee. Because once they do that, talking them back becomes astronomically harder. So we're all committed to helping to push these guys in the right direction and to convince them, look, that may sound attractive to you. And I get that like it gets you on TV when you talk this way. But if you do this, you will end your very successful career as a two-term governor or whatever you are as Jill Stein 2.0. You will be a nobody. You will get 3% of the vote and you will probably return Donald Trump to power. Is that what you want? Right. So let me let me bring together three different threads that that we've talked about. One is that the no labels people said that they were going to announce their their nominating methodology in October of 2023. Here you and I are sitting in the new year. So they haven't done that. Right. The second thing you said is that because of that, it's likely that Nancy Jacobson, Mark Penn, Ryan Clancy will make this decision. But with one being an inability or unwillingness to tell people how they're going to do this, two, the real way that this was always going to work out, three, doesn't it put that legal piece in jeopardy? And isn't the whole C4 idea not just, Matt, that they can raise unlimited money, but that they can raise unlimited money anonymously? Yes, that's the key to the C4 thing. And in fact, they've been very strict about not telling the world who their donors are. In fact, Nancy was quoted in a publication last year saying, no one cares who our donors are, which is like, LOL, everyone cares who their donors are. It's been reported that at least some of their donors are people like Nelson Peltz, who's a, who was a big Trump donor, at least for a while. Um, and also Harlan Crow, who's the guy that is the uh, very close friend, apparently, of Clarence Thomas, so close that he you know, flies him around on his private jet and brings him to New Zealand on his yacht. As one does, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I got to get new friends because apparently that's what friends do. And my friends definitely don't do that. But in any event, we don't know who the other donors are. And, and it would be really good to know that. But yeah, this is an elite concoction. It was you know, dreamed up by Nancy and her team. It is funded by these very rich people who are not disclosed. It is the opposite, by the way, of Ross Perot in 1992. I, I worked on the Clinton campaign. I remember this. Perot was drafted into running by a group of folks. It wasn't online. There was no online by a real grassroots movement of people that wanted a voice for, you know, lower deficits and less trade. And he was a folksy, super popular guy. Now he was very wealthy, but he, that wasn't the thing. The thing was he was just very, very popular. This is the opposite. This is a bunch of elites saying, Hey, all of you rubes out there, here's your candidate. Before we move on to my next thing I want to talk to you, I want to talk about the Ross thing because they, they invoke Perot a lot. Now, Ross ended up with 19% of the popular vote. He didn't win one electoral vote. Now, he did quit in the middle because he was convinced that the Bush family was going to attack his daughter's wedding. So Ross was also nuts. But he was not a politician. He was fundamentally outside the political system. And he was not a creature of, as you said Matt, the elites in the political system. He was challenging both 
the Democratic Party of then Bill Clinton and the Republican Party then of George H.W. Bush. And if you go back and watch his 1992 YouTube video, he called it all. He said, this is what's going to happen. And he was he absolutely right. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the thing is that if you look at their, you know, the the no labels, they put together some pamphlet or whatever it is. It's the height of insidery elitist things that don't help Joe six pack one iota and help special interest to the nth degree. So even from a belief perspective, they're hollow. Totally. I mean, look. Perot, I didn't agree with Perot on his fundamental things, but they were very coherent and you could see why people liked it. I mean, like ending trade deals made a degree of sense. And look what happened, you know, 30 years later to the American industrial heartland, because frankly, we in the Clinton administration and others overdid it on globalization and trade. So he wasn't coming out of nowhere. And what he was saying was popular at a kind of very fundamental level. But to your point, if you read the unbelievably lame policy agenda that they put out, there isn't a person on this earth that says, yeah, that's what I'm for, because mostly it's total pablum intended to not offend anyone. And I'll tell you this is that living in the world in which we live, if you're not willing to offend anyone, Matt, you're not really willing to do the things necessary to win either. Because, exactly. you know, these contests you know, in a situation where you had multiple candidates, maybe not, but it's win or lose. We're not a parliamentary system, right? There's no middle ground. There's no coalition. There's no prime minister and all that. And it seems to me that they want to be as inoffensive as they can be while being as damaging as they possibly can be too. And to me, to your point, in my mind, they got about 60 days to get their heads right. And I would hope as if there's any of their supporters or any donors, again, I am someone who tried this twice. I am someone, Matt, who was, you know, tried to start a third party before we started the Lincoln Project. I have a lot of sympathy and a lot of belief in the idea of what they're trying to do. But I also live in the real world. And look, I think one other thing is very important, and it goes to this coalition point that you just raised. They are doing something extraordinarily dangerous beyond what we've already discussed, which is they know in their souls they're not going to win the election. Their candidate is not going to be the president of the United States. No one with three brain cells rubbed together thinks that that's possible. What they are now saying is they're interested in causing on purpose a contingent election, which is to say, if neither of the major candidates gets 270 electoral votes, the majority of the electoral college, that means something has to change or else the House of Representatives votes by delegation, as you noted, and that would mean Trump would win. By the way, Democrats could score a huge, overwhelming blue wave majority in 2024, but they're not going to win a majority of state delegations because Republicans have too many of the small ones like Idaho. Yeah, I think it's I think right now, I think it's 26, 22, and there are two that are tied or four that are tied. Exactly right. There is no scenario by which we win a majority. So Republicans will have the majority of the state delegations. If it goes to Congress that way, Trump wins in the worst possible way. But it's even crazier than that because they have said on the record to NBC News that what they're interested in doing is if they can win a state or two like Pennsylvania or New Hampshire that allow what are called faithless electors. That is, if they win the state, their electors, the Electoral College voters, vote. Those electors could vote for someone other than their candidate in their 13 states that allow this. Let's say they win New Hampshire. That's the difference. 
Then they go to those electors and say, we're going to we're going to bargain with Biden and with Trump, see who we get better deals from on policy, personnel. Maybe we get a vice presidential. Can't, I mean, it's all completely bananas. It's a parliamentary model that does not work in America. And what you would get, and can you imagine the chaos that would ensue with Trump screaming his head off every minute and them trying to pull these shenanigans in the month or two after the election? So also sounds a lot like blackmail. 100%. <laughs> so what they have now done is they have focused on this kind of contingent candidate strategy. And that's the worst possible outcome here. And they really have to be stopped. I want to go inside the Beltway, a place that I grew up but don't like to spend much time if I don't have to. Why is it that the no labels of the world are even given attention, whether or not it's the operatives, the donors, the donor advisor class, the political class, the political bureaucracy, or the national media? They all know better. But what is it about their willingness to give a no labels more airtime than they should ever have gotten without significant scrutiny or not understanding the threat, despite all of his words out loud, that a Donald Trump presents? Is it just like it can't possibly happen again? Is it a willful ignorance? Like, Take us inside the mind of the Beltway denizen. Well, I think there's different mindsets for different people. So the most baffling to me is the donor class. I don't know how much they have raised for this last year, uh, sorry, in 2022, which is the, the last year for which they have their numbers, they raised $20 million for this. In 2022, Nancy Jacobson told the New York Times recently that they'd raised $60 million so far for this project. And there's no reason not to believe that. They are very effective at raising money. And the baffling thing is most of their money comes from the finance industry. These are people who spend all day looking at spreadsheets and asking very hard questions of you know the people who want them to invest about their portfolios and about what they're selling. And yet here, they haven't even peeked under the hood at anything before they write her gigantic checks. And I think the reason is she's selling this fantasy. And she literally says this, imagine arm in arm, a Democrat and a Republican walking into the White House. What a miraculous thing that would be. Now, we could go through the reasons why that's all silly, but- Yeah, it's called the 12th Amendment. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the whole thing is nuts. But nevertheless, it, particularly in a moment when there is a lot of discontent with the two major candidates, this is not going to be a change election in either direction. And so I think people are kind of looking for something else. So that's the donor class. The political class, I think, woke up to the threat this poses to Biden when folks like you and I started talking about it. And, and it became pretty clear to them, I think, relatively quickly that that was the case. In fact, David Brooks, we were really pounding on Brooks for a long time. And he wrote another column after his initial uh, kind of very supportive column in September of 22 in the spring of last year saying, actually, no, this is a bad idea. <laughs> like, don't do this this year. So I think the political class understands that this could be very bad. But the problem is there, you know, there's this torrent of news around this cycle, particularly because Trump is this you know, news machine. And no labels still is very vague. We don't know who they're going to nominate or if they're going to nominate somebody. They're only on 13 ballots. So I think they will be taken seriously in a more concerted way 
once that starts to solidify. But at the moment, I think it's very hard for them to get their arms around what this all means. Well, I'll tell you that I spoke to a reporter probably middle of last year who was doing a story on no labels. And this reporter started asking questions about their finances. And what happened? This reporter's editor got a call from no labels lawyer. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. So all the people like you and me are trying to, you know, hold up democracy. These are the same people, guys, just as an FYI. In Arizona, they are actually a party. And in they Florida, are. they are, and now just in Maine, too. So I'm not sure how they're able to live on both sides of this aisle, but that's neither here nor there. But a guy tried to run for Congress, or a guy is, is running for Congress on the no-labels ballot line in Arizona, and they're trying to sue to keep him off of it. So yes. you're either pro-democracy, because the ballot line exists for, I assume, every office, or you're not. Right. I mean, maybe maybe listen, Matt, maybe we should have Rick Wilson run on the no labels ballot line in Florida. I mean, he lives he lives in Tallahassee. He, he's he's a qualified elector. Wilson, 24. I'm on board. <laughs> Look, also, they're we're kind of living inside their bizarro definition of what being pro-democracy means. What they say being pro-democracy means is more choices. Well, OK, is Jill Stein being on the ballot a, a pro-democracy thing, as you noted? She hangs out with Vladimir Putin. She's a mouthpiece for the Russians. That doesn't strike me as pro-democracy. What is pro-democracy in 2024 is stopping Donald Trump, because there is no threat greater to our democracy than Donald Trump. And there are two theories of the case on how to stop Trump in this cycle. One is support an incumbent president. That almost always works. Theory number two is support an unnamed third-party candidate that has never come close to working. I'm going with number one. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, incumbent presidents, as we've seen throughout at least the 20th century, tend to win. They win. It's a hard thing to unseat an incumbent president, unless you're it stupid, is. in which case you can help it happen. Exactly. All right. So listen, before we let you go, because I know you're, you're about to start trotting the globe, as you're sitting here now 300 days from Election Day, roughly, what are you seeing out there that gives you hope? And I know we don't, there's not a lot of hope in the ether, you know, and I look, I'm, I'm as willing and guilty of scaring the hell out of people as anybody else. But, you know, from your perch, a third way, the center left coalition, tell us how you see it. I think there's two big things that give us hope. The first is the economy. Right now, people are very, are registering a lot of unhappiness with the economy. And I understand that. I mean, Inflation is very, very difficult for people, and it's, it's caused real hardship, and it continues to. And I in no way want to minimize that. That's a real thing. But every economic indicator is just bright green right now. You know, Unemployment rate is going to be, unless something big happens, it's going to be very low. Inflation rate is going to be very low. And those two things together constitute what is called the misery index, unemployment plus inflation. Goldman Sachs thinks it's going to be the lowest ever recorded next year. And people make judgments about the economy as it relates to the election roughly in June. So my hope and optimism is that the economy continues to improve between now and June and that people are actually feeling it and are maybe grudgingly giving Biden a little bit of credit for it with low gas prices and, and other things by then. And then secondly, we are beginning to move out of the referendum stage of this cycle and into the choice stage, which is to say all of that polling we were terrified about in the last few months was basically, how do you feel about Joe Biden? Yes, 
Donald Trump was asked in these questions. But what they're thinking about is the incumbent president. How do you feel about the guy in the White House right now? And what the Biden campaign and others are beginning to do is make voters recognize that when they go into the polls in November, they're going to have to choose between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And they're going to be reminded about who Trump is. And I think Biden did that very effectively with his Valley Forge speech. And I hope and expect that that'll continue. And look, uh, you know, we are proud pro-democracy partners, and I, I certainly could not be happier about that. And this is not a no labels, silliness, arrogance, incompetence, but those people who have worked on opposite sides of the aisle, in some cases for their entire careers, right, have said, okay, this is what we have to do in this time. And I think that as we get further and further into it, I think you'll see the likes of, you know, you know, Democrats, I do believe will coalesce, even if you said, as you said, unhappily. But then you'll have the, the likes of Liz Cheney, of Adam Kinzinger, of a whole bunch of other Republicans who, you know, I hope will travel consistently and constantly, Matt, to target states to say, you don't need to do this. You don't have to do this. I have been a conservative all my life. And you can say a lot of things about Liz Cheney. Conservative in the old style sense of America is oh, absolutely yeah. one of them. <laughs> right? For like, sure. Yeah. Right. She is not a Trumpist. She never has been. Kenzinger, right? He has been out there on the leading edge, right? Both of them, you know, they have done this stuff. And I'm hoping that more and more Republicans of that style come out forcefully, vociferously, consistently all the way through Election Day, because I believe that if the Democratic Party as it is, plus independent voters, plus that, let's say, 18 to 20 percent of the Republican Party, Matt, that either hates Donald Trump or will never vote for him. Guys, we can do this. This is not at all impossible. And I think that's the other part, too, is, as you know, because you're a, Demo a lifelong Democrat, Matt, you have to get through the idea of, oh, my God, the sky is falling. Right. Right. Always. Always. And so, like, this is very doable. And if we do this right and we blow out Donald Trump, does it mean the end of MAGA? No. But it certainly sets them way back where now they have to go figure out how to pick up the pieces. And those of us in the pro-democracy movement are not done, but we're certainly, you know, as Winston Churchill would have said, at the end of the beginning. I think that's right. And I can't tell you how much I admire folks like you and all of the what are now considered to be never Trump, either current or former Republicans, who have put principle over party, who have chosen democracy over demagoguery. Liz Cheney and I disagree on pretty much everything when it comes to public <laughs> policy, right. but she is a patriot and I am incredibly impressed by her and Kinzinger and others. And I hope that she serves as an example to more Republicans. That is not what's getting folks promoted or applauded in Republican politics at the moment, obviously, but that's got to begin to change eventually. Well, I'll just tell you this is, you know, again, I grew up in Republican politics, right? My dad went to other kids went to summer camp, Matt. I went to the NRCC, right? Um, <laughs> lucky you. I, yeah, lucky me. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to work on a presidential campaign, work at the White House, all these other things. But I'll tell you, and I say this not just because I haven't been a Republican in a long time, like I can't imagine sitting near these people anyway, right? right. Like it's just so antithetical to everything I am, I believe in anyway else. So in many ways, Really not a hard choice. All right, Matt, before we let you go, where can we find you online if you still dare to tread there? And where can we find Third Way? 
Thirdway is at thirdway.org. And if you go to thirdway.org slash no labels, you will find all of our analysis of no labels. And there's a lot. And then I'm still on X, I guess it's called at thirdway Matt B. Same handle at thirdway Matt B on threads. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP and on Substack at the Homefront. Hope you'll check it out. Hope you'll sign up. Matt Bennett, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Everybody else, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode.